0: There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. Pour
1: one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. the hn podcast i'm john miller along with steve dace we record this on sunday evening the 24th day of march that is the day that iowa's basketball season came to an end in an 83 77 overtime loss against tennessee in which iowa trailed by 25 points at one time in the first half to a team that spent a month of the college basketball season ranked number one in the country and at that point in time, I was already beginning to tweet post-mortems because what else was I going to do? Uh, they trailed by 21 at halftime. And somehow they were able to, well, they, they were outscored 49-28 in the first half. They outscored Tennessee 43-22 in the second half. Tennessee's offensive efficiency is what top three top four in the country Mm -hmm, and they mm -hmm. held them to 22 points I'm guessing that's probably a season low for for, uh, for a half for Tennessee Iowa just came out and gave the type of effort that it's really really hard to give Over 40 minutes because you just don't have that in the tank I tip my cap to each and every one of them I also do so to Fran McCaffrey for having the right amount of whip In these couple of games at halftime, you know we can dive in and point out and discuss why you're in a 25 point hole to begin with, and why you're probably going to continue to bump up against a glass ceiling. But what were your thoughts on just the unlikely, the unlikelihood of that type of comeback?
0: Well, I thought the comeback was really unlikely, John, but I thought the deficit was really unlikely, too. I, I was really shocked um, by how much Tennessee dominated the early part of the game because, you know, when we talked about this last Selection Sunday, I really liked Iowa's draw. Um, I told the audience that I thought uh, the what I, I wouldn't call them mid-majors, the American, the Big East, um, and the Atlantic 10 are bigger conferences you know than a mid-major When i think a mid-major i would think like a missouri valley kind of a conference uh and those conferences are traditionally multiple bid leagues okay and for the valley to get multiple bids is a good year for them you know so i guess i would call them in next year or the next year after the power five and and i really thought that those leagues were down and it's played itself out uh you know for the most part um uh, you know, uh, the only next-tier team that may make the Sweet 16 is, as we're taping this, Ohio State and Houston are playing right now. You know, so I thought that Cincinnati was not as good, uh, not as much of the Anaconda defensive team as we've seen in the past. Uh, they they aren't a great three-point defensive team. And and ultimately, Iowa just needed to match their toughness. And, I, and in this podcast, in a few minutes, I want to discuss the distinction between toughness and, um, and intensity, because I, I think those are two different things, okay? Um, and then against Tennessee, when you look at the teams that Tennessee's lost to this year, and Tennessee is a very good team, but they're also a team that did win the SEC regular season or conference tournament titles. And when you look at Tennessee, you look at, they you know, they lost to Kentucky when they were number one in the country. They lost a couple times uh, to LSU, uh, and then they lost to Auburn. With the exception of Auburn, um, yeah, LSU and Kentucky are teams that can put multiple skilled big men on the court at the same time, because what has made Tennessee such a tough matchup is Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams on the court as multiple skilled big men at the same time. You don't see that a lot in college basketball these days, and I thought Iowa can match that, and so if they could just find a way to limit the amount they let the bone kid who might be the fastest point guard in the country? You know, they limit him it's his ability to just decimate their defense in the paint. That I thought they physically matched up pretty well, and so um, I was I was as I was as shocked by the early deficit uh, as I was by Iowa's comeback. And you know, I really thought Iowa was going to win. And you look at I have I really thought Iowa was going to win when Moss hit that three in the corner. With the shot clock winding down, that's when it kind of just felt like, you know, what they're going to pull this off. And they had that 1-3 by Bohannon when he had a really good look and it rimmed out. Um, You had the missed free throws there by Tyler Cook. And I think what we learned down the stretch of this game is, um, you know, there's a difference between being pretty good, Tyler Cook's pretty good, and being an All-American. That's what Grant Williams is, SEC Player of the Year. And he kind of took the game over uh, at the end of the game and, and brought took his game to another, another level that, you know, Tyler Cook just doesn't have yet. And, you know, he recognized that, you know, Cook can physically match him. And so he wasn't going to just, you know, take him at the rim. He, uh, and so you saw him with an in between game score some big baskets. And, and that's just not a game that Tyler Cook has developed yet. And if you go to the Cincinnati game, the game before, Um, yeah, you know, at at halftime, I thought that it may be time to have a serious conversation if Iowa is actually a better team without Tyler Cook. And here's why, because the pressure you feel, it's a little bit like the difference between for Michigan state, Nick Ward's a better basketball player than Xavier Tillman. But when, but Xavier Tillman presents a, a level of flexibility to them that Nick Ward does not. And that's a little bit like what you feel like with Tyler Cook, like Nick Ward is not content to be the guy to break up a team's ball screen offense on the other end of the court. He's not content to be the weak side offensive rebound crasher. He needs to be the on the block focal point of an offense. And that's, that that's who Tyler Cook believes he is as well. And I thought in the second half, he more embraced the role of do just go out there and dominate on the glass. Do essentially, you know, be an athletic version of what, what, but Pencil, but what Pencil has been in the past for this team, a more athletic version of it. And I think that really paid dividends for Iowa in the second half against Minnesota. I thought he brought a level of physicality in the second half here against Tennessee today. So, you know, I, I think it'll be fascinating when you look at the next year with this team and, and what he does or does not decide to do and what that does and doesn't mean for the kind of team that they will have. But they are a better team when he is not, where he does not believe he is the focal point of the offense, of the off- Offense has to run through him, because if he wants that to happen, then he needs to develop more of a game. Other than I'm just uh, more powerful at the rim, so I drop step you and attack. You know, you get into this, you get into this league, uh, in the meat of this conference, and in the NCAA tournament, you're just not going to physically dominate players like that, especially when you're six, 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 seven, and not six, ten, six, eleven, playing like that. And I think the other thing we learned too is that there's a difference between toughness. And intensity. Because you said something here a minute ago, I think is right on the money. It's difficult to play with that level of intensity for 40 minutes. Almost nobody does. Like, you know, Virginia here tonight, it was like 45 to 30 for like six minutes in this game, okay? Where Virginia just didn't have the intensity and the focus, but they never lost their toughness. And I, you know what, I never understood this distinction. Watching Michigan evolve the last couple of years, and I think that's a path there for Iowa, because I think in terms of their approaches to basketball and their philosophy as offensive guys, there's a lot of more similarities between Fran McCaffrey and John Beeline than people think, just because they think their personalities are so different. But John Beeline evolved the last couple of years to learning, you know what, we got to stop people on a more regular basis. I, I We're not just going to get 80 points on all these teams. We can't do it, you know. We don't recruit one and duns. So I, I think the, Iowa learned in these two games that your intensity and focus for 40 minutes, especially when you're dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old young men, it's not going to be there all the time. Even in an NCAA tournament setting, if that if it were, we wouldn't have upsets. But what you have to have with you is a, is a level of toughness. And so it might have stayed for. 45 to 30 in this Virginia-Oklahoma game tonight for six minutes. But notice it was 45 to 30 instead of 45 to 38, meaning Virginia lost its intensity and focus on the offensive end, but its overall toughness remained, so Oklahoma didn't get a chance to take advantage of that dry spell. And I think that's the next step in the evolution of the program under Fran McCaffrey is, is the distinction between intensity and toughness and then ultimately the Tyler Cook question.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a, a good point. And, you know, Cook has taken a lot of barbs. And I'm going to repeat something in the podcast that I tweeted out during the first half of the Iowa-Tennessee game. Um, And not everyone saw those. I think that – I don't think Tyler's operating in a vacuum. I think he's told to be aggressive, told to attack. I also think that uh, many of his challenges, not all of them, but many, it comes back to the one thing that you and I have been more critical about relative to Iowa basketball than anything else over the last decade, and that is Iowa's lack of guards that can break down an opponent defensively off the dribble. How this game started for Tennessee was Bone was able to split the defense up top, get past Iowa in a man-to-man, and for some reason, Iowa opened the game man-to-man because maybe they just think it's they have to, but they don't. It's not a rule. You don't have to open a game man-to-man. Um, Bone gets by, kicks off to a wide-open defender in the corner because the other defenders have had to collapse and help. That's how good offense flows. But when you're Iowa and you don't have players who can break down the opponent's guards, get by them, cause that second level of defense to choose to either leave their man or leave you open for a 15-foot jump shot, that's what Iowa lacks. So since opponents know this, they know that Jordan Bohannon's not going to drive around them they know that that when connor mccaffrey comes in he's not going to drive around them they can come out and they can overplay and some nights when the refs let you clutch and grab i was done because of this fact. But on the nights that you know they, they make you play defense with your feet, what still happens is, is you have to start your offense three to four to five yep. feet higher out on the court. So yep. you, now you're out yep. at 27, 28 feet as opposed to 21 feet. And from 21 feet, you can make an entry pass to the block without it getting stolen. But you can't do that from 28 feet. So that means Luca Garza and Tyler Cook when they're on ball side, they have to come up from the low block. They have to come up to the free throw elbow line. And at that point when they receive the ball there and start the offense there, when they, they if they turn and face the basket, they got a contested 15-footer. Or they try to dribble and drive, which big guys are not typically accustomed to doing. And because when, say, Connor McCaffrey's in the game, that, that defender doesn't have to guard him to shoot at all. He can lag back in. He can swat the ball and steal the ball. And you saw some of that against Cincinnati. You certainly saw some of it against Tennessee. I, people don't, don't – I think a lot of people don't recognize – what not having breakdown guards does against you, against you offensively. And it's a miracle that Iowa's offensive efficiency was top ten all year. And here's what it is. They have a lot of really good three point shooters. And they they had a number of games early on when they were making eight, nine, ten three pointers a game. And in this era of analytics, an effective field goal percentage, making threes at a 38% clip is probably better than making twos at nearly a 50% clip. So all of these things, all of these things begin and end with guard play, with the ability to have guards that can break you down. And as I tweeted at you during the game today, you have said for years, you cannot hide your quarterback in college football. And I tweeted at you, we need to add a new one. You cannot hide your guards in February and March. And people talk about the Fran fade. What happens in February and March? Teams begin to get focused. Good teams begin to get focused. They begin to give every game their attention because it's it's tournament time coming up. And Iowa typically fades. And I think Iowa typically fades because they don't have that breakdown guard. And we will continue to see the glass ceiling as maybe making it to the tournament three of every five years, maybe winning a first-round game, and that's your ceiling, until Iowa can consistently do a better job at getting, well, not consistently. How about once get a breakdown
0: guard? You know, I think anecdotal confirmation of what you're saying It came at the end of the game today, and and what I thought was a very curious strategic decision at the time, and I tweeted it on our Bigger10 account, but after listening to what you just said, I think you just provided me the explanation for it. You know, So Iowa is at a juncture where in in overtime, and I really thought Fran should have called a timeout when when Tennessee went up five just to settle this team down and make sure they got a good next possession. He didn't, and they didn't. Uh, And then the lead swelled to seven um but i i thought there was a second curious strategic decision at the end of the game and it was the possession the penultimate possession and iowa absolutely had to have a three and luca garza who's a good three-point shooter and with his size can rise up and shoot over the top of a defense he was taken out of the game to put connor McCaffrey in so and i'm like let me get this straight luca garza is is a good shooter, and with his size, can sh- can sh- eyes up and he can shoot over the top of a defense. Connor McCaffrey can't shoot at all. But this decision, I think, now makes sense. I don't. I still don't agree with it, but I now better understand the rationale for it based on what you just said, because this is an admission that they needed another ball handler in there to get to have to have any shot of getting Jordan Bohannon open for that for that look. Correct. Because if he's got to be the primary ball handler at the exact same time, he doesn't have the quickness to do a crossover dribble and split a double team. Maybe he can do that against you and I, you know, in the in the hawk in the Iowa in the you know MediaCom classic. He's not doing that to a team out of the SEC that was ranked number one in the country for four years. You know, and so they needed another ball handler in there, even if it took a shooter off the floor because that was their only real shot. Of Jordan Bohannon getting the the look that they were hoping he was going to get at that point, so I think that's at There's least no some anecdotal confirmation of what you're talking about. But that is a show we have done before. See, I don't think I don't think it's actually smart for Iowa to adopt a more defensive posture as a program. Now that doesn't mean I don't think they they can't improve more defensively. All right, um, but and they improved leaps and bounds this year. I mean, I mean they improved by when you look at Ken Palm, basically a hundred percent from where they were a year ago at the end of the year. But um, I, you know, this goes to what we've said before about Nebraska football. This is a league right now that, and you've seen it play itself out in this NCAA tournament, where you know you look at what Ohio State did to Iowa State the other night. That was a physical, you know, physical almost football game. already had slipped. That was a physical basketball game, and we got down to the last two minutes, and neither team was in the bonus yet. So the refs were letting them play Big Ten style, and you saw, you saw two things. You saw a, we don't have a lot of shooting guards in the Big Ten like Shayok, and, I, and Ohio State had no answer for him. But then you saw B. The rest, of, the rest of Iowa State's offense, Taylor Horton Tucker's ability with his size to dribble drive you to the basket, um, or the freshman point guard with the long length, or Wyler Babb with his long arms and length and reach, Caleb Wesson just standing there in the lane takes up half the lane. They don't have big guys like that in the Big 12. And Iowa State never really got their offensive rhythm uh, set up because of that presence. See, I I, I think when everybody else is doing that, Iowa actually has the right zag to the zig, okay? See, I I disagree, as I have typically made a career out of, and sometimes I'm right. But I think the conventional wisdom that Iowa needs to lock down more defensively, I don't agree with that. I think I think the problem is that Fran has not recruited the proper pieces to run his offensive system. Indeed. I think it's the other way around. I agree. I think you, you want to be an offensive, up-tempo team. You've got all these shot makers. Well, you, you know, w- essentially, Iowa basketball is, is like a 3-4 defense without a nose guard. You can have a great rush linebacker. You can have a lockdown corner, this or that. But sooner or later, just like you said, when you get into nut-cutting time in basketball season, when you get to when you get to november and december in football season all right if you don't have a 350 pound plugger taking up two or three gaps there in the middle of the defense they're going to run that sucker right down your throat and take that rush linebacker and that shutdown corner out of the game because they are controlling the line of scrimmage and that's what iowa basketball's problem is it's not that they need to become a more defensive program it's that fran for whatever reason it's been not year nine years has not recruited the proper trigger person to actually run his own system. And I think if Iowa had that with the other shot blockers it has, because this is not a league that has a lot of gifted shot blockers. It's a league of toughness and physicality and defense, then I actually think that's the path to upward mobility rather than trying to be the next Bo Ryan. OK, because here's the problem you have. John Beeline and Tom Izzo are probably always going to recruit better players to play that system than you every time. So, you know, the, that's the issue Iowa has, is that it's never tr- totally recruited the asset, the number one asset it needs to be the program that frame McCaffrey envisioned it to be. Now, despite that, they've won a crap load of games. He's picked the program back off the mat. They play most of the time an entertaining brand of basketball, and they have been good. Whether that's good enough is up for, up to Iowa fans to decide. But in my view, for them to take the next step as a program, and what do I think that next step is? I, I look at next year. We don't know yet. You, know, you look at Maryland's team. It's the youngest team in the Power Five. Bruno Fernando's going to go pro, though, and I think it's possible Jalen Smith will, too. He's listed on the first round of a lot of draft boards right now. Um, I think at Michigan, you look, I think we know Matthews will be gone. Um, I think Poole and Iggy will both declare without, without an agent. If both those guys come back with, who, who, with, with, with Simpson and Teske and what Michigan has in terms of recruits, I mean, I could be the preseason number one team in the country next year. Michigan State, Winston will be back. I don't know what Nick Ward will decide to do. Tillman is only a sophomore, so he'll and I think he'll be back. Um, you know they lose McQuaid, but I think Henry really came on at the end of the year. They've got a very promising recruit that's kind of rode the bench this year, and Marcus Bingham. They're going to be a top ten team again next year. You know, Ohio State loses some key players, but they bring in a really good recruiting class. We know Chris Holtman's a good head coach, so you know where does Iowa's pecking order go? I think if Cook, whether or not Cook comes back. If I were an Iowa fan, what I'd want to know, to me, I want to know that we are competing for the Big Ten title and or we get out of the first weekend of the NSA tournament uh, um, for the first time in 20 years. And if we accomplish one of those things, with the, and I think that's, those are accomplishable with the roster Iowa has coming back next year, given the recruits coming in, with or without Tyler Cook. Because, see, I actually think... That if Cook is not willing to accept a, a, a role as as a Mr. Resourceful, that your job, see, this is where Cook could provide the toughness you need, because he does have he does have uh, an extra layer of physical physicality to his build and his game that a program like Iowa typically cannot recruit. But if he's not willing to adopt that, I think you're better off with him going pro because. The offense is better actually when it runs through Garza. He has a far more refined game in the Agreed. post. Uh, plus, Garza can't guard anybody. So at least not yet, right now. So if, if you're if if you're not running it through Garza, you know he's not helping you much on the defensive end. He, then then you take one of your most skilled players and make them a liability i think there's a whole game out there that for for mr wieskamp to develop that with with tyler cook you know taking up 10 feet in the lane um gets in the way of that so I, I to me i think you say to tyler cook hey here's a you need to be willing to take on a role that by the way is probably the role that gets you on an nba roster anyway you need to be willing to take on that role if you're not willing to take on that role Enjoy making 80 grand in the G League next year and have a nice life. That's a pretty good living in America. You won't be poor, you know, but time to move on. Because I think if he's not willing to take on that role, I think that gets in the way of the development of the rest of the program. And then I think the head coach needs to understand and learn more about what is the distinction between toughness and, and intensity and focus. And, you know, this debate has come up this week with the Tom Izzo thing. And, you know, I texted you something about that the day after, and then I've said nothing about it the rest of the week. And I've watched the reaction to it. And for people that don't know, this is Izzo, uh, you know, basically had a throw through a temper tantrum on Thursday night here in Des Moines um, with freshman Aaron Henry. And, you know, we live in this era nowadays where everything is a binary choice. And most of the time, the choice that we're offered is a false one. So you either want a flaccid coach or um, every coach who's not flaccid is Bobby Knight. Like there's, there's no degrees, no distinctions in between those two areas. All right. That your, your coach is either uh, making a joyful noise uh, or he's Nazareth Hare the dog. And there, there can be no in between. And, you know, I, I, have, I think we need to be careful not to fall into this false choice. Because while I agree that there is a mass effort underway in the culture right now in certain places to undermine masculinity at every turn, some of it is because um, too many men have failed in their roles of leadership. Some of it is because um, there's a movement afoot in the culture of the people who want men to fail at their position in leadership because they're... Um, they're anti-traditional gender roles. Whichever one of those motivations there are, though, what we can't lose sight of is accountability. And and I think in the Tom Izzo-Aaron Henry debate, this whole thing has come down to Tom Izzo clenching his fist and screaming and yelling. That's a false argument. The issue that has me concerned, as someone who has always liked Tom Izzo for many years, as you well know, but what I what 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 has me what had me concerned is understand Tom's players. Matt McQuaid's a senior, a fifth year senior actually. Cassius Winston's a junior. Between those two guys, they have been with Tom Izzo virtually every day the last eight years, in some way, shape, or form. They know him pretty well. What I get where I get concerned is not Tom Izzo yelling at Aaron Henry. Because it's probably the 58th time he's made the same mistake. Okay, Where I get concerned is when guys like Winston and McQuaid, who have all these years of water under the bridge with Tom, and know what his intensity level is like, and have responded well to it, and have become better players because of it. When I see McQuaid step in and literally get between the coach and and Henry, that's when I get worried. I am not worried that Tom Izzo yelled at a player. Frankly, I agree with Dan Dockich. Too many coaches are afraid to coach today. I get worried, though, when the, coach, when the players who respond well to that kind of coaching and have flourished under it, like a Matt McQuaid, when they're like, hey, hold up, coach, chill. Because right. their level of tolerance and callousness to this is a hell, a hell of a lot less sensitive than ours. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think there's a Fran McCaffrey parallel here. The team needed Fran McCaffrey's intensity today. We saw that. I think we saw when the team got behind at Wisconsin and Ohio state, how much it needed his intensity there too, because, because they just didn't have the toughness to rebound once they got punched in the mouth. But I think frantrums or whatever you want to call them are not necessary. I think, I think, there's a difference between hey you are going to blow the opportunity young man that you have. You are going to you're going to blow the vow you made to your teammates. You're going to let the people you care about down. You're going to embarrass yourself on national television. Right? There's there's that and then there's you are frustrating the hell out of me right now. I'm frustrated. And I think we have to where we where we those of us who believe in traditional masculinity, that think there's a place for it, and that his, and that agree that history has shown it's done more to protect the innocent and women and children than any force on earth. It's what compels young men to go to Afghanistan nine times. Okay, those of us who understand that we need to also, though, understand that when when that when we knee jerk feel the need to defend these outbursts without looking closer. We And I say this as somebody who was raised by a man like this, okay? There is a difference between, I, young man, I'm trying to get your blanket attention before you have a moment that you're going to wake up when you're 50 screaming in bed at night because you won't ever forget it. I'm trying to save you from that, okay, to... I'm frustrated. Why won't you be why can't I be listened to? I, nobody cares. You know, there's a difference. And what I saw with, with the Izzo situation with him and Henry is that was personal. And that's where a McQuaid steps in, who knows? Whose dad taught him how to be tough, who's who's thrived with Coach Izzo for five years, and is as tough as any player in our league is, man, even though he looks like a little librarian. Okay, and he just sits out there and freaking drops. Daggers on people like with, like with giant Vidalia-sized onions every night. When I see him step in and say, "Hey, coach, chill," that's when I start thinking this isn't coaching. Now, this is a pissing contest. And Tom, you're supposed to be the adult. You can't let it go to that, okay? And I think what Fran McCaffrey is going to Fran McCaffrey. I think one of the things he has set up with his team is he's almost coached them to. You know what, man, I, you know, it's just not serious here until coach loses his poop. Right. Then suddenly it's serious around here. OK, and and I think that's where he's got to get that leverage back with his players. And I think that, frankly, actually needs to start with his own coaching staff. I think you saw the, the coaching staff situation and the state of it when he wasn't there, that he needs to look at his coaching staff and say, who is here? that can help me instill that in this team and if that person isn't here i need to go find that person
1: yeah it's it's an interesting delineation and w- with regards to fran and his temper you know, we we've we've done that podcast too but I, I, w- I would bring up i there has not been a revolving door at iowa and there hasn't been a revolving door at michigan state Relative to players leaving.
0: Right. I think which the, is what we saw under Nine. Correct. Eight, correct. Where Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, some of the greatest players of all time didn't want to play for the guy. <laughs> we haven't seen that at these places. It's not the same thing. Okay. Right. But my concern is though, that if we all just immediately jump to Tom Izzo's defense, you know, he's been there for twenty five years almost, John. Hmm. In your line of in, in your lifetime, you and I are almost approaching fifty now, if you can believe it, okay? Name a person in power who is more principled after being in that power for twenty years than they were when they first acquired it in any line of work. Name them.
1: Well, it's it's natural to go the other route,
0: right? Because everybody enables you. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I want your favor. I want a seat at your table. I want to be part of your group. So I'll tell you what you want to hear. Exactly. And if you, if, I agree. Tom Izzo's not Bob Knight. Okay, but if you want to if you want to set the stage for him to become Bob Knight, just totally dismiss the fact his fifth year senior captain had to get in the middle between him and and an 18 year old freshman during an NCAA tournament game in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, because that's the stuff where you now set men in positions of leadership like Tom Izzo. When you start telling them they're unassailable, they are above the law above reproach they've earned a certain status that they cannot be questioned and any outburst that they would possibly have would be justified uh, you're not doing him do you think tom Izzo coaches his players like that hmm. hey cat he just benched cassius winston in the big 10 tournament dude's the freaking big 10 player of the year hell no you don't escape accountability playing for tom Izzo. then why the hell should tom Izzo escape accountability
1: hmm. interesting Interesting thoughts. All right, we will put uh, put a pin in the rest of this one. For the HN Podcast, we'll talk about the Big Ten's performance in the first two rounds of this year's NCAA tournament in the Bigger Ten Podcast. So look for that there. For Steve and John, we'll talk to you soon.